Hello, and welcome to Return to Regalia, an Underland Chronicles reread podcast. I'm Una. And I'm Nate. Today, we'll be covering chapters 17 and 18 of The Prophecy of Bane, in which the questers reach the tankard and encounter some sea serpents. Where we left off, Luxa and Howard were mourning the death of Pandora after mm. she got eaten alive by mites. That's still... I think that one got me the hardest out of all the deaths... At least up until that point, because it was so sudden, and it's just, like, such a fucked up way to die. The description of it is, like, her bones were picked clean before she could even react. Yeah. That's not good. Just seeing somebody die in such a final way where it's like, oh, there's not even a possibility of them coming back. That has to suck to watch uh, for Howard. Yeah, yeah. I'm so with you on that. Like... It's it's crazy. <laughs> we talked about it a lot last episode. Nice, nice. But yeah, yeah, I'll never be over that scene. Chapter 17 starts with Gregor eating only raw fish for dinner because he, Temp, Howard, and Ares all give their rations of bread and meat to Boots. Well, it says, I want rations of bread and meat. <laughs> <laughs> What's up, Lola? Is everybody ignoring you? All right, now that we've heard from the third roommate. (laughs) Twitch Tip says she smells rats, which means they're getting close to the labyrinth. Merith asks if the serpents are still sleeping, and she says yes, but they'll wake up soon. So this is a nod to how Howard said at the beginning of their quest that the serpents' mating season was soon. So I guess they're like about to come out of some kind of hibernation and get busy. Interesting. I forgot about that part. I'm trying to think, do like, because I was, when I was reading this, I'm trying to think what the serpents are, because when Gregor sees him, he's like, he realizes, he's like, those are dinosaurs. And I'm also, this is not even related, but how come dinosaurs in the ocean went extinct, even though the meteor didn't get them? Or did it get them? Why are there only mammal, giant mammals in the ocean, but no giant reptiles? But that's not related. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like I was just reading something about how there's like giant mammals. Maybe that was something in Sapiens that we were listening to. Oh, nice. I forget. But yeah, I was wondering, like, we're going to get to the description of the serpents later. And I was trying to figure out, like, is this a dinosaur that I would recognize? We'll get to it. We'll get to it. Everyone tries to sleep until Temp warns everyone that the Shiners are leaving. Howard is especially upset about them deserting, calling them conniving, vile creatures. I love this hatred that Howard has for the Shiners because it continues in the fourth book when the Shiners come back. Oh my god, right! (laughs) They meet the Shiners again and Howard is back to hating them. And it's just like this grudge that he holds. Twitch Tip says the Fireflies will probably go sell them out to the rats now, but she also says, on the good side, we won't have to listen to them whine anymore. Everyone is shocked at first, but when they realize Twitch Tip made a joke, they all laugh, because the one thing that unites them all is that they all hated the Shiners. Love that. They finally have found a common enemy to bond around. Yes. <laughs> I love this little moment of just, and don't, and Luke's then like Twitch tip go back and forth for a minute. It's so cute. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, Luke's is like, it's a shame you didn't get to eat them. And Twitch tip is like, ah, they, they taste nasty anyway. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's great. Howard says they have enough fuel to get to the labyrinth, but they won't have much light after that. Gregor thinks again about how the words light and life are interchangeable for the Underlanders. And he says, I have life. I mean, light. I like that part. 
Just because he's thinking about it so hard that he just, like, says the wrong thing at first. Yeah! Gregor takes out his flashlights and duct tapes them to the human's non-sword arms. Boots insists on getting one, too, and Gregor tapes the mini flashlight from Mrs. Cormacy on her sleeve. Boots shows it off to Temp, and Gregor has to remind her not to waste the battery. There's this cute moment where the Underland humans also hear this and guiltily turn off their own flashlights, and Gregor smiles because he can tell that they think the flashlights are cool. (laughs) That's a cute moment. I love that part that he's just like telling Boots, like, remember not to waste it. And then all of the Underlanders hear that and are like, oh. Because <laughs> they, they don't know about batteries or like they know conceptually about batteries, but they have never needed, like, they understand the concept of fuel because like they run out of fuel for their lamps and torches and whatnot. But like, they're looking at these flashlights and like, Luke's in the first book with Gregor's hard hat is like, how does it produce light without producing heat? So I bet these things are so magical to them. (laughs) Right. Like, it's just like the equivalent of a lightsaber for us. Like, holy shit, I just press the button and the light comes out. (laughs) Yeah. And they're like so charmed. And also just the fact that Gregor thought to tape flashlights to everyone's arms. Like, that's so smart. Right. Because I know there's a scene where he is trying to fight Rast in the dark and his flashlight gets knocked away. Is that in this book? Um, I think that's in the fourth book. Okay, that then I I like that he just like we don't even see his thought process. Just like obviously you would duct tape the flashlight to their arms. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. It's great because they don't have to like hold it, and I'm not sure that they have another source of light that they wouldn't have to like hold in their other arm. Oh, true. Like a lantern or a torch would require the other hand. They got to get those glow in the dark like stars. <laughs> and just everybody tapes onto their forehead or something. In the last book, the friendly rats dip their tails in bioluminescent shit. Oh my god, yeah. To mark them as like the ally rats. <laughs> Glow stick rats. Yeah, they should just they should just have stars. Yes. They should just be the star-bellied sneeches. Yes. Glow in the dark. <laughs> <laughs> the boat enters a channel flanked by rock walls, and Twitch Tip says 47 rats are waiting for them in the tunnels above the tankard which she explains is a deep shaft half full with water and the serpents sleep at the bottom. Twitchtip can also smell the bane from here. She says it's deep in the labyrinth and she can smell only flashes of it, but it's definitely there. Again, how is she smelling the color? Because she says, I can smell its whiteness. Right. How does white fur smell different than other colors of fur? Right, like, I guess it must, I guess. But like, how? Is that from real life or is that just made up for the book? Because I feel like you can't smell colors. This is something that I would have been able to say with confidence before reading this book. (laughs) (laughs) You can't smell colors. Yeah. Yeah, well, we get the first intro to Twitch Tip's power when we learn that she can smell colors is when she identifies the color of Boots' shirt. And I thought that she must be smelling the dye in the shirt. And like, that makes sense to me. Like, if you know what the dye smells like, you can like pick out the color. But why would different colors of fur smell different? Right. And also, semi-related, it just occurred to me, 
Does she not know that the Bane is a baby or does she just not think that this is relevant information to share? Like, why can't she be like, smells like a baby rat? That's what I was thinking, mm-hmm. too. Like, you'd think that she'd be able to tell that it was a baby. But I think that it's explained by, like, it's so deep in the labyrinth and she's okay. only smelling flashes so she, of it. She can only smell things that would obviously have a strong scent, like the color white. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't know how she can smell the color white, but not the fact that it's a baby. Maybe it's... Maybe, like, if you have different genes that make your fur white, like, you can smell. Yeah, like, you have different chemicals going on in your body. Yeah. Or, like, I don't fucking know. Maybe she, maybe that's just how she, she can, she smells something and she can tell it's the bane, but she can't really explain it. Like, how, like, um, what, what's Ramanujan the mathematician? Yeah. Exactly like that. Like, you can, like, you can say what it is, but if somebody asks you, like, put it in words that I can understand, she couldn't do that. Or, like, she doesn't want to bother. So she's just like, I can smell that it's white. Are you going to doubt me, the, the rat with the magical nose? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is mostly just magic, I would think. Uh-huh. Yeah, the fact that she can do this. That's funny you compared to yeah. Ramanujan. <laughs> I think there, yeah. He had a lot, I mean, I'm basing it off the Ramanujan biopic we watched, which is... Starring Dev Patel. Yes, uh, out now on the internet for free illegally. (laughs) (laughs) I think that makes sense, though, because, like, Twitch Tip reads to me as very, like, neurodivergent. Yeah. And I think that it makes sense that she isn't capable of describing her, like, thought process all the time and explaining her power that, like, the humans have no context for. Like, they have no idea how rat noses work. Right, like, at least other other rats have, like, a basis for what she's talking about. Yeah. Because even later in the series, Rip Red, like, tells Gregor, like, I could smell that you were in love with Luxa. And the the rats, I think in the first book, tell Gregor that they can, like, smell fear or whatever. Okay. I, I was going to bring this up later, but I do have several screenshots of facts about rat noses. And one of them is that rats can smell, they have a, f- all mammals, or, like, most mammals have this organ, the... The moronasal organ, it's located in the soft tissue in the nasal septum, in the nasal cavity, just above the mouth, above the roof of the mouth in various tetrapods, which is that four-legged things language? Yeah, tetra. Nice. So, and that, they can use that to actually smell like pheromones. So like love, fear. Um, Yeah. Yeah, we could get, and and scientists cannot agree on whether humans have this or not. So that's fun. Like we definitely aren't using it, but- we might have a vestigial one. Oh, but, okay. But we could get more to that later. But Red, Rip Red can indeed, I think, if I read these random Wikipedia snippets right, understand that Gregor's in love from smell. Love that. The rat facts. Yes, thank you. I have I have more, but they're, I'm waiting to deploy them at the appropriate time. Excellent. I can't wait. <laughs> Yay. Yeah, so like, I guess we were talking about like, the rats would have more context for what Twitch Tip's power is like. And, like, the humans just don't have any of that ability. Like, like you said, like, humans are definitely not using their super sniffers correctly, but the rats are. So, like, even Rip Red is able to, like, smell love and fear and shit. So he would know what it's like for Twitch Tip to be able to smell that, like, a thousand times more. And the humans just, like, don't know that. So I'm sure that she just doesn't have the words to explain it at some points. Okay, so the original plan for the questers was to sneak into a tunnel above the tankard, but now that the shiners have betrayed them to the rats, there's no chance for a covert operation. Merith explains that they can either fight or flee, and when Gregor points out there's nowhere to flee to, Howard starts passing out swords. 
That's great. What is, doesn't he actually say like, well, that makes it easy then? Yeah, that, that <laughs> narrows our options or something like that. God, I love both Merith and Howard are just my favorites, my mm -hmm. favorite characters. Anyway, Merith asks Twitch Tip to direct them to the tunnel that'll give them the best chance of survival. I like that he's asking her for her expertise here. Like just a few chapters ago, like Merith was one of the group that was like, oh, we're not going to waste time saving her from the whirlpool. Right. But now he's like caught up to the rest of them. Like Howard had this lightning bolt moment of like, oh, I promised to save anyone in peril in the water and Twitch Tip is in peril. So I got to adjust my worldview and um, save her. And like Merith is also catching up here, I think, to the realization that Twitch Tip <laughs> is a person. <laughs> Rats are people too. Yeah. Yeah. The questers enter the tankard and we get a little description of it. It's kind of like they're in a huge well with vertical stone walls and the walls have a bunch of tunnels leading off at varying heights. Gregor sees rats standing in many of the tunnel entrances, but everything is completely still and silent until there's a slight scraping sound and a big splash. The rats are pushing boulders into the water from above. At first, the questers don't understand why, because the rocks aren't landing close to them. But then Howard and Twitchtip realize that the rats aren't trying to hit them. They're waking the serpents at the bottom of the tankard. That's so funny. You're just trying to get your hibernation in before the fuck fest and these people start dropping rocks on you. <laughs> <laughs> I would be biting too. I hate when that happens. <laughs> uh, yeah, these poor serpents. Just getting an early wake-up call. The bats lift the boat into the air and Twitchtip tells them which tunnel to take, but before they can reach it, a gigantic serpent tail smacks the side of the boat. When he sees the serpent, Gregor immediately thinks about dinosaurs. It's a huge aquatic reptile, and its body is a flattened oval with a whip-like tail and a 30-foot-long neck, which is fucking gigantic. Its bullet-shaped head has indentations where it might have had eyes at some point in its evolution, but now they're gone. When it opens its mouth to howl, Gregor sees that it has three rows of hundreds and hundreds of teeth. Not a- Lola is adjusting her seat on a chair so that she can better contribute to the podcast. Um, yeah, that's not a thing you want to see when you look in somebody's mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Never a good sign. <laughs> hundreds and hundreds of teeth. Yeah, yeah. The whole dinosaur thing. Like, I I fully believe that we could open, we could crack open an encyclopedia of dinosaurs and maybe find something right. that looks like this. I, I'm getting the word diplodocus, but I, mm -hmm. can I, I'm going to Google that. I was never one of those kids who was like super into dinosaurs and I kind of regret it. Because mm -hmm. I feel like it would be so cool if I could just like pull out a dinosaur name right now. Right. I think, I think the plot is, oh yeah, okay, that's wrong. So that was pretty cool, but also wrong. It's on land. But I do, what are those, is it like a Pleosaurus? Oh yeah, it's a Pleosaurus. Okay. Let me see the yeah, picture. Yeah, let me, let me get to the Google images. Oh, I mean, you're not going to like this, uh, but. I'm ready. Okay. All right. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, that's terrifying. I feel like I've had a nightmare in this picture before. What we're looking at, folks, is kind of like a snake. It's like a big eel. It's like those evil eels from The Princess Bride. I was going to say Little Mermaid. 
<laughs> lots of evil eels in media. Why are they so maligned? Anyway. Yeah, but it has like a thicker body. Like it's got clearly got like a neck, a body, and then a tail. And then the body has like four kind of flipper things coming out of it. But the the head is like like a snake with just huge, huge teeth. Yeah, it, this is terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> but apparently they're small. There's this oh. other picture that has it next to a silhouette of a human. Oh. And it looks kind of just like maybe big alligator size. Yeah, that, okay. I assumed I was like, oh, this shit's gigantic, but no. Yeah, yeah, this picture makes it look very big. But <laughs> this little comparison with the human is like, that's just like a alligator, which doesn't make it any less frightening, <laughs> but like. But you could you could maybe train it to like let you ride it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I guess it makes sense if they're giant in the underland because everything's giant. Oh right. Yeah, so I wonder if they've just been chilling. They survived the the meteor strike from down in the earth. That's scary. Just hanging out, getting bigger, losing their eyes. Yeah. Having mating seasons. I guess I don't know if crocodiles and stuff have mating seasons or not. That makes sense to me. Yeah. Because they say that Howard is like explaining that or someone is explaining to Gregor that like they breathe air but they sleep underwater and i'm pretty sure alligators do that right yeah that yeah hold on i'm actually gonna look that up hell yeah well they don't hibernate they brumate the reptilian equivalent of a mammal hibernation i've never heard this before hibernation and brumation are both periods of dormancy where physiological processes decelerate in response to cold temperatures it says that it's basically the same as hibernation but like hibernation for mammals they'll fall into a deep sleep and like they don't eat or drink but reptiles will still have periods of activity but they don't eat they but they continue to drink to avoid dehydration that's funny that mammals don't have to drink but the guys living in the water do yeah wait what skill issue (laughs) evolve better (laughs) get good anyway but yeah these Giant dinosaurs are just, like, absolutely terrifying. And the narration says, The howl chilled Gregor right down to his DNA. Which I can totally relate to. Like, Uh looking at that picture and thinking it was, like, very large. Like, I said this on the episode about the giant squids, but I hate sea creatures, especially if they're, like, very large. So I can totally relate to Gregor just, like, looking at this thing in its gigantic mouth and being completely, like frozen and paralyzed by fear yeah and literally instinctual fear because this thing can eat you yeah yeah i like the description of right down to his dna because it's such a like primal fear like big teeth that's bad (laughs) (laughs) it's like in the first book where he lets out a primal caveman scream yes yes exactly this also reminded me of um in percy jackson the draken in book five Percy describes it as it's not able to paralyze you with like the same way that Medusa does. But if you look it in its eyes, it will scare you so badly that you're paralyzed. And I think that that's very similar to Uh these gigantic creatures. Merith tells everyone to jump out of the boat so the bats can catch them. Gregor grabs boots, leaps, and lands on Ares with Temp, who has helpfully remembered to bring Gregor's sword for him. (laughs) Literally, what would Gregor do without Tim? Yeah. I love that he thinks of himself like some warrior. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Half a dozen serpents swing their heads and tails around, trying to hit them out of the air. 
Ares dodges until Gregor sees Twitchtip dangling by her tail from a serpent's mouth, and they go to save her. A tail smacks Ares, and Gregor and Boots fall off his back. Gregor tries to tell Ares to save Boots, but he catches Gregor first, and tells him that Luxa and Aurora got her in temp. This is the exact thing that Gregor told Ares to do, is like, if you have to choose between me and Boots, save Boots first. And Ares just like, doesn't? Yeah, I didn't even think of that. In the time that it took him to get Gregor, he could have gotten Boots, but he was like, oh, they'll get her. Yeah, but then they get separated. Right. Even though Boots ends up safe at the end of this, they do get separated from each other, which is what Gregor has been trying to avoid all this time. Like the point of bringing her on the quest is so that they wouldn't get separated. Obviously, I don't blame Ares because like that's a really tough position that Gregor put him in to be like, yeah, I know that we're bonds and whatever, and you've already gotten in trouble for not saving your other bond, and they really won't forgive you for doing it again, (laughs) but like, save my little sister. And Ares does it, like he can't. Yeah. Damn, Gregor, you should have given him that in writing. Like, Ares can hold it up like he said, save his sister. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Sign, Sign some documents, make it official. But yeah, no, like, I think that instinctually Ares is just, like, Gregor's the most important, and, like, even though he said this thing, like, obviously he's he's trusting that Aurora will be able to catch Boots also. Like, Ares is not just leaving Boots to die, but he's still not able to, like, follow Gregor's instruction right. or his wishes Right. he saved Boots. It's just so rough. Like, that split-second decision of, like, do I catch, who do I catch which is like a choice he's made before. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. Howard flies by on Andromeda with an unconscious Merith and tells them to get to the tunnels. 20 foot high waves crash against the rock walls and rats are getting gobbled up by the serpents. What I'm wondering is like, at first they see the rocks, the rats pushing the rocks, and they're like, oh, those dumb rats, they're not going to get us. But then the rats have clearly like planned to wake the serpents to get them, and it's like, oh, that's pretty smart. But then the rats didn't plan far enough to be like, we're also in biting range of the serpents. So like, <laughs> what was the, what happened there? <laughs> like, yeah, I imagine maybe the rats like wanted to stick around and watch what would happen to make sure that Gregor died or just to, you know, for entertainment. <laughs> And also it's like, apparently the serpents can like stick their heads into some of the tunnels. So maybe they like the serpents stuck their heads into the tunnels and the rats thought that they were deep enough in the tunnels that they wouldn't get eaten. But alas, alas, but yeah, it is ironic that they had this whole like excellent plan to wake the serpents, but they didn't think through like, oh, we're, we're food too. (laughs) (laughs) Ares dives, grabs Twitch tip and dips into a tunnel. Howard, Merith, and Andromeda are there too, but Merith's leg is bleeding badly. Twitchtip's nose has been smashed in, and her tail is now a bleeding stump. Gregor shines his flashlight at the entrance of the tunnel to see if Luxa and the others made it in, but there's only a giant serpent shooting towards them. Don't like that. Nuh-uh. <laughs> Things you don't want to see coming down you in a narrow tunnel. Yeah. Definitely up on the list. <laughs> I feel like this is something... I've always like skipped over in my reading. Like I don't remember the the serpent coming 
through the tunnel toward Gregor, and it's like over pretty quick. So maybe that's why, but also maybe I just like blocked it out. Right? Yeah. When I when I actually take the time to picture it, it's like, oh, that's not good. Yeah. It's like a jump scare, but it's alive. Yeah. I can't imagine like them trying to make a movie out of this, but like still have it be for kids. Like, right. This would be so terrifying. <laughs> they just need to like do like a Riverdale style. Everybody's aged up and like. <laughs> <laughs> I would fucking hate that. <laughs> or like a like a Percy Jackson movie where they're all oh. like inexplicably teenagers, <laughs> but they're played by like twenty two year olds. <laughs> Boots is like the the sarcastic like sullen kid. Oh my god. Gwego, I don't want to go to the Underland. (laughs) It's boring and they don't have video games. (laughs) That's what they would turn her into. Yes. Oh man. Yeah, no, like even if you did this animated, like, I don't know, like maybe, I haven't watched How to Train Your Dragon in a long time, but like they've got some pretty big dragons in there, but nothing like absolutely spine chilling. Yeah, whenever I whenever I picture them trying to make a movie out of Gregor, it's in the style of How to Train Your Dragon. I don't know why, but I just think it would fit well. Like, it manages to be cartoony, but also cool and realistic. <sighs> Should we get into chapter 18? Let's do it. <laughs> so this one starts with Gregor leaping over Twitch Tip and stabbing the serpent's tongue. It smashes its head on the ceiling and rocks shower down on them. It retreats from the tunnel with Gregor's sword still in its mouth, and he shouts for another sword. Howard tosses him one, but he ends up not needing it because no more serpents come down the tunnel. With things quieting down outside, Gregor returns to Howard, who is doing CPR on Merith. Howard wraps Merith's leg in catch cloths and duct tape from Gregor's pack, explaining that a serpent bit him when they went to save Twitch Tip. I'm glad that this time they chose to go save Twitch Tip. And like... They chose, like, Merith and Howard chose to make that sacrifice for her, like, to risk getting hurt to save a rat. And Merith did get hurt really badly, but they still made that decision to save her. Like, that's great. Yeah, it's like, nobody says it, but it's like a big moment. They they grew... And like, and then he's even he. I remember when Howard's sister like, "Sorry, I had to cut off your town." And Switched up is like, "It's okay. I would have done the same thing if I could." It's just like a little yes. handshake moment. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I ever paid much attention to this when I was a kid reading these, but like, there's a very clear arc of like in the whirlpool scene. Howard and Merith and Luxa are all very much like ready to leave Twitch Tip to die, and Gregor just calls them out on it, and then. Over the course of a handful of chapters, really, they become totally different towards her. Like they're they're asking her for her opinion on things and they're sacrificing themselves to save her. And it's just kind of like this thing that's happening in the background. It's not it's not like super relevant to the quest, but like it's just this thing that like Howard and Merith and Luke are quietly like going through in the background of this book, like learning that rats are people, I guess. <laughs> Andromeda and Howard agree that they need to get Merith back to Regalia. Howard goes to Twitch Tip and wraps catch cloths around her tail and her broken nose, and she tells Gregor how a serpent crushed it with its tail and now she can't smell anything. Gregor panics not only about how Twitch Tip won't be able to find the bane now, but more so about how she can't tell where Boots is. Right. And this is the perfect time to get back into rat olfactory systems. Lay it on <laughs> us. Oh, yeah. 
So when Twitch Tip said this, for some reason, I was immediately skeptical when, when she was like, I can't smell because my nose was crushed. I'm like, that's too easy. I don't think that's how it works. And after doing some research, I think that is how it works. But now I know more about rat noses. Because I was just like, there's nerves in your nose, right? Like, just because you can't sniff doesn't mean that, like, they're still not... Like, I went and I stood over the scented candle and I sniffed it and then I plugged my nose and, like, breathed in through my mouth and, like, tried to tell, like, how much information I could get from that for, like, a good 30 seconds. <laughs> I love the dedication. <laughs> Thank you. I was, I was supposed to be doing work at the time, so that probably <laughs> Um But, yeah, so rat olfactory systems... Because I kind of, I my thought was like, even if she can't get air in, like she still has her olfactory bulb and like whatever cells actually sense that. So basically what it, it seems like, yes, she still would have had those things, but one, rat olfactory bulbs are kind of closer to the nose like than they are in humans, where it's like, if her nose was so crushed, it could have also messed with that a little bit and her receptor cells. But other facts, so, so she actually probably cannot smell, but she might still be able to use her veromonasal organ, which she can't use for distant smelling, but she can like, when rats sniff and lick, molecules from the environment stick to the moist nose and dissolve and are then transported to the VNO, let's go VNO, suspended <laughs> in mucus. So like theoretically she can still like, she can't do long range anymore, which is mostly what they're using her for, but she could still smell a little, I think, or kind of like taste smell. I might be completely wrong um other facts about rat noses i thought this was very interesting um a study in 1942 found that albino rats have worse senses of smell than other rats uh based on how long it took them to back away from a pungent smelling piece of garlic so either albino rats like the bane have worse senses of smell or they like garlic more (laughs) (laughs) no i think they also they also tested other things but i think that's interesting that like potentially the bane has a worse sense of smell that is really interesting right i've never heard that before yeah all on see i screenshotted this and then i didn't take a picture of the url so we uh, i might have to go add a works cited later yeah sure thing (laughs) does is that the same for other albino beans or is it just rats i don't know it looks like from the screenshot i saw they only tested with rats and yeah i don't know if they were trying to draw conclusions about like everybody i don't know if they said it's like because they have fewer nose glands whatever that's called (laughs) oh okay according to 10 facts about rats you never knew from petri pest control which might be a biased source (laughs) um rats have 1,207 olfactory genes compared to humans at 396 olfactory receptors. So I don't know if they meant to say receptors for the first one. Anyway, rats had our better senses of smells. And according to the abstract of another study, historically, the olfactory system has been considered primitive. However, we now know that the olfactory system has projections to the prefrontal cortex entorhinal cortex and hippocampus and that these connections support the acquisition of simple and higher order instrumental tasks. It appears that animals with a well-developed sense of smell have the neural machinery to think with their noses. So like researchers are like, we didn't realize how good they could smell and look like they might literally have like a different way of mental processing. Ooh. Like how you see something and you're like, yeah, I could interact with this object. Like maybe your rats smell it and they're like, wow hot piece of gossip over there. Um, wow. So yeah, like when you said that the humans can't understand exactly what Twitch Tip means when she says she smells things, like, yeah, very true. Yeah, wow. I've yeah. never heard that before. Yeah, no, I I did some really intense Googling for like 15 incredible minutes. And <laughs> <laughs> now we know all those facts, kind of. 
That's great. Thank you for doing some research for the podcast. Thank you. I'm glad. I'm glad it got on there. Yeah, I always love learning um, animal facts for these books. Yeah, what I'm getting from that is that rats think with their noses. Twitch tip has a really strong sense of smell. Twitch tip is neurodivergent coded. Uh huh. I was gonna say Twitch tip is a genius, but that could also be. She's like a savant. Ah yes. Yeah. Same same thing. Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I love the idea of, I don't know, just like the social implications of having someone who's just like better than smelling at everyone else. Like, especially when it's such a big part of rat culture, apparently. Right. Like, yeah, that would super affect like how she fits in with other people. And it might just go beyond what the humans see of like, she's super sensitive to smells, So she likes to be alone. Mm-hmm. Like maybe rats don't want to talk to her. It's not just like, a superstition thing it's like you walk up to twitch tip and she's like hey i can smell that you cheated on your wife and you're like what the fuck twitch tip like, yeah i think that's what she says at one point mm-hmm. she's like well i could smell their secrets oh yeah oh yeah. Right. I think she, she says that to gregor um and i and like with like social fitting in with like neurodivergent stuff like like when she's young she doesn't realize that you're not supposed to talk about all the things that you can smell yeah because the other rats do so so the rats are just like i smell the bubble gum today and she's like i smelled that your dad what what are rat crimes <laughs> your dad committed rat crimes and all the other rats are like oh we don't like you now we've talked about bat crimes now we've got rat crimes yes <laughs> what's next cat crimes cat crimes we already are familiar with those yeah we're pretty familiar no yeah i think that's totally true i think twitch tip the more i think about it she really does fit into like this framework love her yes <laughs> i w- was gonna say more but like i don't know it would just be me talking about how much i love twitch tip. <laughs> and we can all agree on that yes so. yes Ares confirms that Aurora told him that they caught Boots and Temp, and Twitchtip agrees that they were all together, but then there was water separating the two groups. Howard thinks this means they were pulled under, but Ares insists that's not true and goes to call for Aurora. While he's gone, Gregor starts to go numb from the feet up, and when Ares returns with no answer from Aurora, Gregor's heart goes cold. He remembers the lines of the prophecy about the baby dying, and he thinks that Boots must be dead and the rats will be celebrating their victory, because now he's broken in two. Howard asks Gregor what he wants to do now. He replies, his voice calm and cool, telling Howard to get Merith and Twitchtip back to Regalia. Twitchtip asks what Gregor will do, and the chapter ends with this. Gregor felt the last bit of warmth disappear, as the ice went across his forehead and up over the top of his head. There was nothing left that anyone could do to him now. There was nothing left to fear. Me, he said, I'm going to kill the Bane. And that is the end of part two, The Hunt. God damn. Oh my god. Uh, Yeah. I was thinking after I read this, like, it makes so much sense that Gregor basically dissociates when he finds out that Boots is dead because, like, he has a lot of experience, like, just turning off parts of his brain because he is not able to deal with them. Like, his dad leaving. Yes. He just, like, of course he just goes numb mm-hmm. and is able to do what people are telling him that he needs to do. Yeah. And I also have wondering, like, if the rager sensation is a similar thing. Like, both Gregor and Rip Red have, like, had really traumatic stuff happening to them. They both have the rager thing, and the rager thing is kind of described as, like, I think when it first happens, like, he 
he can't remember like hitting on the blood balls. Yeah, yeah, it's like this dissociative episode. Yeah. So I wonder if it's like not just like an inherent thing, but if like people like if if it happens in warriors because warriors are like they have more bad shit happen to them. They have more. Ex- they obviously have survived more terrible things, and they get better at dissociating, and then they in turn unlock this skill that's like born of their trauma oh my god yeah some people have have talked about that before actually oh shit people on tumblr and in the youtube comments on these episodes have been like talking about how they think that the rager power comes from a traumatic experience that makes so much sense yeah yeah Yeah, it's something i really want to look at going forward but like what you're saying about like it being this dissociative episode like that is so real actually like i hadn't considered that (laughs) but yeah gregor describes it as like he can't really remember what he did while he was in rager mode and it happens like so fast but also in slow motion and like yeah yeah and this is very much the same like he's just having this like full body reaction as the the narration describes the coldness like seeping up his body it's so visual just the idea of like the coldness overtaking him and i can totally picture him with just like this blank face like realizing what needs to be done like gregor does this a lot actually in the books Uh like i'm thinking about at the end of book one when he's like oh i'm the one who has to die like the prophecy says like i have to die so the others will live and he's like i need to chuck myself off the side of this canyon and he just like decides that And he's like, that's what needs to be done. So I'm gonna do it. You're so right. And he's not in both of these cases. He's not super emotional about it. He can just he turns that part off. It's not helping him. Yeah, it also reminds me of in the first book when they're all trying to sleep. And it's when they like first meet Rip Red and Gregor is like nervous that Rip Red is just gonna kill them all in their sleep. And then Gregor realizes that there's like nothing that he can do to stop Rip Red from killing them. And that's what makes him able to fall asleep. (laughs) (laughs) I love that Gregor is like, like that could theoretically be considered a good coping mechanism. Or like, you know, if you can't change something, don't worry about it. But it's also very bad. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, interesting just like how quickly he can accept terrible circumstances like he just seems to be able to adjust immediately and take action and it's like maybe these things will like hurt him down the road like theoretically if Ripper actually did attack him Gregor would be worse off if he just accepted it but like in the moment it helps him yeah and that's that's his fucking life yeah that's his survival mechanism And it's very much what he does in the last book when he learns that the prophecy says that he's going to die. He thinks about the stone knight from the museum and that is totally him dissociating. He imagines himself as the knight and thinks like, that's me. I'm this soldier and there's no use in trying to fight this because the prophecy says I'm going to die and that means I'm going to die and that's just what's going to happen. So that's me now. It's absolutely devastating. And he does it a lot in these books. Yeah, I have never like put this together. Me neither. Oh my God. Damn, that's fucked up. That's really sad. But it's like, it's part of his, just the fact that he's so, he's got so much resolve. Like I'm hesitant to call it bravery. Like he's definitely very brave, but he's also very self-sacrificial like earlier in this book when he chooses to save Twitch Tip from the whirlpool, he like jumps out of the boat that's in the air because the flyers are like 
holding it aloft in the air and he jumps like 50 feet into the water or something and like he just decides that that's what's gotta happen to save twitch tip and he's like not thinking about his own safety at all and everyone else on the boat is like you can't do this like you're the warrior we need you (laughs) (laughs) and um he's just like what are you gonna do about it (laughs) and um so I guess it it would be bravery, but not always a responsible kind of bravery. Right. Like I can I can see in another book, like there's a lot of stuff where like the hero is so self-sacrificing and everybody's like, dude, you got to stop this. You got to take care of yourself more. And it's funny that in this book, they're like, dude, you're the warrior. You're not supposed to die. Yet. <laughs> yeah. 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 Like they want him to be self-sacrificing, but not in that way. Right. <laughs> you're in it in a little bit, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. You can only die... Uh, for us to help us if you're dying to help a rat we don't like that Fuck. yeah god there's so many layers here <laughs> yeah wow i, I really want to keep looking for um gregor's uh dissociation throughout the books now gregor's no terrible very bad moments yes <laughs> no wait did i say no terrible no good very bad moments that's the one yes yes I feel like I've never thought this deeply about Gregor's mental health before. (laughs) Like, I always knew that he was pretty messed up. And, like, I always figured, like, oh, yes, this boy is going to have a lot of trauma if he goes back, when he goes back to the Overland, like, after all of this is done. He's definitely, like, not gonna be (laughs) well-adjusted. But now I'm just, like, really thinking about all the specific instances of, like, evidence of him not doing mentally healthy things and yeah and i'm sure that'll continue to happen like when bad things happen in the overland he will he will still Mm -hmm. dissociate like that i feel like i i read or something that that's like or just like emts like that happens a lot like you're very calm in the crisis and Mm -hmm. then later you like fall apart yeah and i'm sure that that is an asset in some areas right but we're better when your brain has finished developing, Gregor. Yeah, uh, God. Not that it's his, not that he really has a choice about this. It's just sad. It's just so sad, yeah, that he's, like, grown up in a life that has given him these, like, maladaptive skills. And now he's being forced to utilize them, like, tenfold because he's being thrown into this, like, war. God. We could we could talk on and on about Gregor's mental health. Maybe mental health will be a bonus episode. Yes, bonus episode. I'll go steal my mom's copy of the DSM five next time I go to her house. Fuck yes. We can get rat we can get nuts. We can have a diagnosis party. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. I mean that's the end of yeah. part two. We're about to get into it. The end part. I feel like listening to these books versus reading them, I forget like how fast everything happens. Truly, it yeah. felt it felt like it, it felt like such a long journey listening to it, and then I'm reading it I'm like, oh, that was like ten pages. Like, yeah. oh, okay, in ten pages, like we have multiple grievous injuries. Boots is missing. Luke's is missing. Aurora is missing, and Gregor is ready to murder a rat. Yeah, they're very like tight, self-contained. Not a single page is wasted. Yeah, it's just so efficient in its storytelling and i just i want to be able to write like this <laughs> so bad just cut out all of the unnecessary shit and write this like beautiful simple straightforward narrative that is simultaneously so deep and like packed with meaning right like it's so good <laughs> conclusion of this podcast the underline chronicles is good you heard it here first we figured it out <laughs> we cracked the code <laughs> Anyway, 
Do you, do you have any other thoughts? Ooh, let me see if I can find one more rap fact that I saved on my phone. Oh, I'd love Just to a have nice, a nice wrap up. A good wrap up rat fact. <laughs> Rats have something called the piriform cortex. I don't know what it is because I'm just looking at a labeled diagram. I didn't really screenshot enough rat facts. (laughs) So watch out for that. Next time you're messing with a rat, watch out for the piriform cortex. It could get you too. (laughs) If you're a rat expert, write in. We want to know about rat noses. Oh, yes, please do. Well, thanks so much for joining me, Nate. Yeah, it was good to be here. Good, good talks. Some good juicy chapters. Indeed. Next week, we'll be covering the first three chapters of part three, The Maze. Reminder that you can now follow and rate this podcast on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, and Google Podcasts, along with some others. You can find links to us on all of those platforms at returntoregalia.card.co. That's C-A-R-R-D dot C-O. I have a few people to thank here before we wrap up the episode. First off, thank you to Al, who donated to the podcast on Ko-Fi. I really appreciate your support because it helps me pay for the hosting service we now use. If you'd like to be a pal like Al and donate to the pod, you can do so at ko-fi.com slash return to regalia. You can find that link on our card as well. Second, I'd like to give a huge shout out to our guest from last episode, Audie, aka Prophecy of Grey on Tumblr, who composed an extended version of the Return to Regalia theme song and drew a mugshot of Aries hanging upside down for the Aries and the Flyers EP. Love it. Opens up so many possibilities in the Underland world. It's beautiful. Both of these works of art are just so good. Yeah, yeah. We just, I feel like we spent like a solid 15 minutes listening to the song on the loop. Yeah, we put the extended theme song on loop and we're just like chilling, listening to it like over and over again. I reblogged both of those posts on Tumblr with the tag podcast fan art if you want to check it out. Third, I'd like to thank Tumblr user Quo Hotos for continuing to create amazing fan art of us as giant animals. It warms my heart every time I see myself as a big bat. You can find that art reblogged on our Tumblr as well. And last but not least, a big thank you to Nate, who is working on episode transcripts for the podcast. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, we only have a few out right now, but more are on the way. You can find the transcripts attached to the episodes at rss.com slash podcasts slash return to regalia. One word. Don't forget to follow us on Tumblr and Instagram at return to regalia to never miss an update. Thank you for listening, and until next time, fly you high. Fly you high.